0: Clubhouse. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey guys! And tonight we're here to discuss the third and only the third episode of the second season of Amazon's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel.
1: This one's called "The Punishment Room." Oh,
0: the punishment room!
1: That is in regards to the wedding. Remember, she was calling that area that had like the no windows and the saddled area where where like the student was like standing in the corner, that punishment room. Like you can't have your reception in the punishment room. It's
0: also possibly the coat check room.
1: I agree. I like that very much.
0: And it's funny because the coat check room is an improvement from the switchboard room, which is also a punishment room for Midge.
1: I'll give you another one. Also, we have Rose being called on the carpet by the Dean. Right. Also kind of a punishment room kind of situation.
0: He thought it would be, but it didn't shape up that way.
1: And I'll even say that we have Joel figuring out that he wants to live in the factory like that room, right? Yeah. You one could say that could be the punishment room.
0: I think that that would be a terrible place to live.
1: <laughs> so that's what I think all the various punishment rooms could possibly be. Let's start this time with Abe and Rose's adventures. Rose is taking art classes at the college. I was quite surprised to see full frontal male nudity.
0: Yeah, it is a treat whenever... <laughs> Crops up, isn't it?
1: It was a surprise. I was like, okay. I thought it was pretty interesting how the the students like dealt with it. They were they were you know like a little snickery, uh, but Rose was like, oh, yeah, she fainted. Hilarity. Then so we-
0: having been in art class, I can tell you they do bring live nudes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> live nudes. They put like a sign out front with like blinking lights. Live nudes today, <laughs> and
0: it is almost uniformly. Unsexy in every way.
1: Tell me, so what makes it so unsexy?
0: For one, the live nudes in my class were collecting senior citizens' checks.
1: Oh, for one thing. Wow.
0: Yeah, I mean, they might have been, you know, just on the cusp, very at the, you know, drawing it a even little early.
1: Think of them on the cusp of anything. But that sounds yeah, gross. they
0: were. They were definitely their firmer days were behind them.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: And then there's just sort of the, let's call it the uh, clinical nature of it. You know, like no one else is is laughing and sniggering in class and for, in real life. You don't want to be the one that is. You don't want to be that guy that's like,
1: Right, Commenting. acting all awkward. Right. So when they come in, are they like in a robe or something, and then they just like drop their robe? Is it like a big dramatic reveal.
0: It's your first time seeing live nudes. It feels uh, nudes. feels kind of dramatic, but no, they treat it very businesslike. You know, they're like maybe even chatting with people before before class starts. Like,
1: and they're just meow. totally naked.
0: Yeah, they just yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: So these are some exhibitionists, huh? They're uh, just like drink me in.
0: Well, they're not doing it for free. They're They're prostitutes of a sort. They're paid
1: live nudes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, Abe was equally freaked out. I completely loved that he was bringing his entire class across campus, continuing to lecture all the way until he got to the door. And then he proceeded to also have a freak out.
0: When when they finally get into the dean and he's like, and I don't want her to see schlongs anymore. (laughs) I
1: know. He said (laughs) schlong like five times. That was so funny. So the main uh, gist of the Abe and Rose plotline was not full frontal live nudes shlongs schlongs, but it was actually that Rose has been doing a lot of introspection having to do with the art world and where exactly does a woman play out in the art world and started asking questions to the female students who were in her class, like, Hey, you know, like what are you going to do when you leave here? And people were saying all kinds of things like be an artist or be a teacher. And she was like, uh, There's no teachers here, and I know like very few female artists. Did you expect that Abe was going to see her point, or did you expect him to be like, Rose, you need to knock it off?
0: No, I I mean, we've had a full season of Abe seeing things in a very conservative way. I I was really shortchanging his character and i thought that he would he wouldn't necessarily support it right away so i was really proud of him that he that he saw it however I, I wasn't alive in 1959 so i can't say for sure how things were but i can say how things were in 1999 when i graduated with an art degree the i know, i realized a lot of ground has been gained in the gender politics in those 40 years or what is that not 40 years it's 70 years no Forty. Forty years? It can't be 40 years. Yeah, it is 40 years. Yeah, 40 years. That was an
1: art degree you got? an An art degree?
0: But the success of the students graduating with that degree and their prospects for the future definitely... It didn't matter if you were boy or girl. Nobody was going to succeed, really.
1: Wow. Well, see, and I, I think that you were lucky enough to be in a program that allowed more innovative ideas in terms of like incorporating technology into art. And I feel like that you guys who did that were the ones who had the brightest future for actual like success monetarily. Now, there were plenty of people who we went to the University of Texas in Austin. And so that was a very large school, very prominent school. There was a lot of people who were were wonderful artists. I mean, we we would be walking to class and accidentally become a part of someone's performance piece, performance right. piece. Yeah, that's On weird. the regular, anytime I'd walk anywhere near the art area, I'd be like, "Oh man, is that an actual protest?" And you'd sure. be like, "No, they're doing that's their final g-
0: right. They're gonna <laughs> chop their dicks off after this, and it's not real. <laughs> they're just pretend dicks. It's a whole thing." Do you
1: remember? that one project that boy did in your class where it was a video and it was a hot dog floating around in the aquarium and then at some point it like went vertical and then like shimmy to the top.
0: All to the tune of When a Man Loves a Woman. It was, <laughs> it was poignant for the class.
1: Oh my god. Oh my god, it is so hilarious to me. Yeah, But at the same time, I mean, when if not, when you're in college, when is it time to like experiment with your hot dog aquarium <laughs> projects?
0: Well, I can tell you, like, just in real life, if you did like me and you got a BA, that meant that you got a lot of electives in there that could be art, but they could be something else. So you have a chance of shaping your post degree life in some way, but it's probably not specifically art, right? Okay. Whereas if you got a BFA, you are only going to get an MFA which then means you try you want to try to be a teacher like these women are suggesting is their only path forward the there were a small and i mean microscopic number of people graduating with me that were doing the art teacher route which is as stringent as the BFA with art classes just replacing all those electives think of it as this is going to be sound funny for people with just regular degrees, but think of all of your in-degree classes replaced with art classes. That's a lot of freaking art, that right? That
1: is a lot of freaking art.
0: Add on top of that things like student teaching, that kind of stuff. It's almost like a dual major. But it just counts as one, and that's art teaching. Okay, and that's a class. That's a that's a that's a profession that no one actually wants anymore, and it's so much work.
1: Well, it's cut out so much in most of most schools. You know, Especially at best you get art on a cart, and that's like most of the time being volunteered by a mom in the community. Exactly. So like, Everyone know Picasso kids. It's
0: disgusting. If you knew how much freaking work went into an art teacher's degree, it would make you real sad. But anyway, the the, <laughs> the these women are, are master's students, are well, they not? But
1: the, but hold on. I would like to pause for a moment at what you just said. Because you said it would make you really sad. And that was Rose's whole point. She saw these women. She saw how hard they were working. She recognized that when in real life, in her everyday life, there were no female artists. Artists. There were no teaching female artists. So just like you just said, like, there's no art teachers out in our kids' worlds for the most part. You know, so she was realizing the same thing and saying, like, it's just sad. I'm watching these women work so hard. And really, they have no path here.
0: I would. OK, so to give the show some amount of credit, I will say that that it is probably more likely that of the nobody available to teach art, there were fewer Man, nobodies right, so so there were almost non existent places for women to do that. Whereas the ones that were available, which I'm I'm sure were just a scant few, were men. Whereas today, it's equal that it's not, it's not I, available for men or women.
1: And I would say that it would be higher level art courses, like at a college level. Still, didn't you have mostly male professors in the nineties ninety nine? I feel like I feel like for the most yeah. part, all I remember was male professors. You ever there were about.
0: a couple of women.
1: I don't remember any. I remember a lot of. People coming from all different places around the world to teach, they were mostly men. But if you look at like art teachers that we would have remembered growing up, I can't remember one man art teacher. So it was it's interesting. I think that that's one of those things, too, where women may pair that with like an elementary ed you know, background or whatever. Mm, So, so again, though, limiting, right? Now you can't go as far if, if you're at that echelon versus if you're a tenured professor, you know, you might be able to do more. So this was, it brought up a really good, conversation. I thought certainly in our household about picking different degrees. And I think the other thing that you and I had talked a lot about was the idea that like for myself, I am a teacher, but I was taught literally old school methods, like insanely old school methods. So my path like doesn't exist anymore unless I find a private school or like I homeschool So I can utilize my methods. But if I go to like a regular public school, all my stuff is thrown out the window. I need to do it a completely different way. So it's interesting to me when this concept of what are you going to school for? What are you hoping to accomplish basically by the time you get out of here? I think it's interesting that that can happen in the moment. But also you can become obsolete in a lot of ways. Your job just goes away. Like the telephone operators that we see (laughs) so often.
0: Right. Right tragic
1: coat check girls if business. you will
0: right right no one would trust their coat to somebody now
1: <laughs> well they do honey in very fancy restaurants very but fancy places. but not a department store In fact, when I tried to ask someone at JCPenney's to hold my coat for just a damn minute while I went over and tried on a coat, the person, the salesperson, stole my freaking coat. It became a whole hubbub to the point where JCPenney's actually gave me a coat, people. Like, just gave me a coat. Because that's Caroline for you. (laughs) I was not leaving that store without a coat.
0: Imagine the Abe Dean scene, but with (laughs) Caroline as Abe. And the JCPenney's manager as the dean.
1: <laughs> it was a lot like, yes, we're good here. Yes, I'm walking out with this coat now. Yes.
0: They were like, well, I guess you don't have a coat anymore. And she was like, no. <laughs> That doesn't work for me.
1: Exactly. I'm like, I'm actually leaving with this coat. That's a lot better. And like, I don't even know what your person did with my freaking coat. Loved it. So I always like give, you know, Amy high fives. Um, and and of course, to the entire project that is Paladino creations, um, that they always try to shine a little light, right? On like history of females. This whole this whole show is right, about, you yeah. know, the stand up comic path. But also I like that they kind of dipped into like. Like, well, but what about in collegiate world? What's what's happening for women at this time period? And like, where could you go? What could you do? Very interesting. And they, we had a ton of talk to, to talk about in our house.
0: It will uh, it'll be kind of interesting. I mean, I haven't watched the rest of the episodes. I haven't seen the one after this, but it doesn't relate to it in any way to see what those girls do. Do they let them transfer to the business school? Do they just be like, no, it's mid-semester. You can't actually do anything right now.
1: So I did really enjoy that they said that that the female students were asking to transfer to the business school. So smart. And I love that Abe said... You can't just take their money because I have been in that situation where I personally was aware of a program where there was a final step to the program that required this certain amount of like mentoring, although those mentors didn't exist anywhere. When I became aware of this, I went to the head administration was like, you can't take people's money and not have a way for these people to actually have a job, which is exactly what the Abe situation was. You cannot take all these women's money for all this time, essentially to be like, and we know you're, you don't have a future. Like there's no way to actually go to work. So, um, I'm happy to say that we got some mentors in the area and we were able to fix that problem. And I do feel like that hopefully, whether they let those women switch over to business or if this opens some sort of door, maybe Rose will become a, adjunct professor or something, you know, who I, knows?
0: I wonder if this is a larger comment on kind of the scam that colleges and universities have been running since we went to school, oh, which like is-
1: and for all time, convincing,
0: right? Well, it's gotten worse where they're convincing the world, or at least America, that the only way to get a good job and support your family and do the right thing is to go to college. What, we've, what you've seen now in the headlines is basically that- College-eligible people have saturated... The, the market of, of workers so that now they are needing to take jobs that they're way overqualified for because they've gone to college and the, all these other service jobs that are skilled like plumber and that kind of stuff like that are unfilled because kids that, well, because that probably the, could right. have made, made great plumbers instead went to get right. a BA at, at the local college. Right. Because you, know? you want
1: to be the first in your family to go to college. Or but whatever. they actually didn't need deal.
0: it or and they could have made a better living doing something else. Without all the debt of going to college, so I wonder if, if they're actually commenting a little bit on that. It's a little this- like
1: the the milk industry like got milk, and you're all like, "Do I need milk?"
0: <laughs> a right? Like bit, all yeah. these years we were told right. like if
1: you don't drink milk, your bones are going to fall apart. And it's like Paul, when's the last time you had a glass of cow's milk? Well, like, probably ten years
0: minimum.
1: In our house, we haven't had cow's milk in our house in ten years. But I grew up with like if you don't drink that glass of milk, you're gonna Blow away in the wind. Oh, I remember.
0: I remember your your brother would have two things. He'd have a bowl of beanos (laughs) that left like this red residue in the one bowl and then he had Beanos
1: would be Campbell's pork and beans. A
0: gigantic glass of milk to go with it. That was his that was his diet for I don't know. Yeah. From there was a, cut up hot dogs eight in there. To 18.
1: There's cut up hot dogs in there. And he ate applesauce, so he got oh, some fiber. I missed the applesauce. Yeah. <laughs> that was his choice, people. But I, I, you're right. I think that there is this commentary on college and like whether or not you need to go and and all that kind of stuff. Now we're both college graduates. I think that as a um, observer of the world, as I try to be, I think that there's a lot of things that college could have been for us had things been reframed for us. So I think that we did learn things, but it was almost incidentally, like we did need to learn independent skills about how to balance, you know, studying and having a part-time job and living in an apartment and paying your bills. Like we did, we did sort of have like a handholdy version of becoming adults throughout college, but that was, that was beside the point, you know, it was like, all we ever cared about was what your report card said. And really, at the end of the day, there should have been some conversation like you kept all the lights on. You went to work every day you know what I mean like our parents never said like good job for like doing all the other things that it took right
0: Well once I started oh. doing them they no they didn't
1: <laughs> shut up you know <laughs> what I mean though like like but there was no focus on that 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 this was actually a time to also spread your wings a little bit and and learn how to be out on your own and not have mom making dinner or not have someone do your laundry or whatever. And no one's patting you on the back for that. Even though you were learning oodles of life skills, you know, alongside of your academic world. It was
0: like a uh, adulting with training wheels.
1: It very much was, but no one talked about it like that. It was all like, how did you do on your final? Nobody cared how you were adulting. Right. You I know? kept the sh-
0: gas on. No <laughs> one, no one mentioned <laughs> exactly. that. You're
1: like, I was sleeping outside in the woods, but I got an A <laughs> like that's, that's not really not that good. You know, we're not that happy. So it, I think that this, it's a really interesting conversation and who really knew that Mrs. Mazel, our comedian was really going to bring that to our household. So I enjoyed this conversation. I really would love to hear some of our listener feedback on what they think about this. What, what was the commentary? Was it about women? Was it about college in general and employment prospects after you graduate, or what, what were they trying to tell us here?
0: So let's flip to the other side of the mazel equation, the actual mazels.
1: <laughs> right? Let's talk about the mazels. So Joel and the senior mazels, yeah, we were and, heading over to, and I think it's Sylvia is the mom's sounds name. Sounds right. They were going to the bank, and this was like the big day where they were going to properly try to get their money managed in a way that I'm just going to call a more orthodox way to handle a business transaction basically like not be just like loaning and having these treasure maps and all this kind of stuff like now whether or not this is a better way to do it exactly I'm gonna leave out there and ask you guys like you know is it better to lend Money from friends and community and stuff like that, and that's and build businesses like that, or should you go to the big Daddy institution basically and pay interest and do all that kind of stuff to kind of the man, if you will? Is there a better or a worse
0: well, I mean, the bank pays you interest for putting lots of money into it for one thing true and uh otherwise it, i mean you're just handing over cash. To the people you're doing business with, instead of writing checks, it's easier to hand to do checks than keep track of wads of cash, as Sylvia proved with her (laughs) with her treasure maps and her bad system for keeping track of all the cash. How funny was
1: it when she like pulled out that like gigantic stack of cash? Like it was just like she was like digging through a purse, like like hairbrush wallet, gigantic stack of cash. If she
0: would have gotten hit by a bus, they'd have been broke. You know, with because she was the one that could interpret the treasure maps.
1: Right, the bagel stickers and whatnot.
0: And even remember that there were multiple treasure maps, right? I, it's
1: it's wild. I mean, I guess I was, we were trying to discuss this in the last episode about this idea of like, you know, is this a commentary on old world ideas? You know, stashing your money under the, the mattress. Is this a commentary on the Jewish faith and culture after World War II, not putting all their money into banks, even after the Great Depression, not putting all your money into banks. Like, is there any, is is there something historically or culturally that, that maybe we're not sort of like grasping that's like, well, maybe not everybody brings all their money to the bank anymore for a bunch of reasons, including you don't want the government to say, and now Jewish citizen, you don't have money anymore because we have it all, you know, so is it that or, or even like the Great Depression, same deal. Like, "Mm, sorry, on paper you had money, but you don't. They would have lived through all that as adults, and they, they certainly would have been affected by it all.
0: That's a good point, point. and Joel would not have been. He would have been right, right at the end of World War II, I think is uh, when he was born. So, so. It,
1: so it, I can understand where they're coming from, just from the teeny tiny— well, That's
0: not exactly right. He was a kid during World War II, so it wasn't the same for him. So yeah, this point's still valid. Old world versus new kid, and the new kid is being persuasive.
1: I feel it was also a lot like how we all are with our parents who, don't have like an iPad or don't have a Kindle or don't have whatever. And you're, and they're like arguing with you about, you know, the feel of the book or they have their, you know, their VHS tape and you're like, but you could just stream it live on Netflix if you just will let me show you how. And it's like, no, you know, and you're like, but the VHS tape doesn't even, like it's brittle. It won't even go. And it makes the v, the old sad uh, VCR explode and smoke over here. It, it feels very much the same like we've all had those moments where you're like you're doing it wrong but really it's just the new way versus the old way
0: yeah that reminds me what's that i I don't have a digital copy of your grandfather's video anywhere so we should find someone's vhs and put it on youtube or something because i don't want to lose it you know so anyway note that for later
1: goodness. In the hunt for the treasure map and all the money, Joel does have to enlist the help of of Midge. And that's what gets them sort of wrapped up into some hijinks and leads them to the factory's sort of this like side basement room, basically, right? It's sort of this area that it it seemed like it was definitely underground, I was perceiving. And more, I don't even know, the funny thing is that i do not even want to say it's unused space. It was like, finished, but I use that word really lightly.
0: It kind of had like uh, the feeling of like uh, at least what they show us in movies as a New York loft, you know, like brick walls and and it's all, shall we say, open concept. Um, (laughs)
1: Right. But I was going to say, like, even a little bit more than that, there was like kind of like piles of rubble a little bit here and there, you know, like like so a little bit more than just that a little bit more than just the, the studio apartment loft industrial feel, but a little more like, I don't know, this was like forgotten space or something
0: that, yeah, that sounds right. I mean, what makes a living space, a living space are the little things, you know, like kitchen stuff and a bathroom and, and, uh, that kind of stuff. I wonder if he squirreled away a space that has any of those things available.
1: So I would think that a kitchen there would be some small amounts, like the same amount that I would think Susie has in her apartment. She He he could easily do like a hot plate and crap like that. Certainly there's running water in a bathroom. Surely there's that because the woman we know in a previous episode said, I'm going to run to the bathroom. The thing that would stop you is the shower. There's right. probably right. not a shower. So that's where things would get a little dicey. But, you know, the the making the decision to buy the building and decide to actually own this place and really invest, I guess it kind of makes sense. Plenty of people say Gilmore Girls Luke Danes live within their business and also purchase the building as Luke (laughs) Danes did.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Oh, so uh, definitely there's That same feeling, you know, back on, I have to do a a little Gilmore Girls rap. I think at the end, not rap, like beatbox (laughs) Philadelphia. (laughs) I did a a little thing with my hands. Like I was going to rap, but then I didn't even want to say anything with my mouth. Just then, um, no more like, uh, like a wrap up of all the different, cause there's a couple different things going on here. So I was talking about Suze and her apartment switch. This was like kind of ingenious to me. In a didn't feel far fetched or contrived solution to Susie's issue. So the hitmen had an idea of where she lived and which was her apartment. Yeah. So she just swapped apartments with another family.
0: But she still hangs out with them in there? I
1: think she, yeah, that part's a little vague. But I would say that at first she was just checking in, you know, like getting her mail and leaving. But I think that she got sucked in, like that whole Luigi TV thing. You guys, I laughed for like five minutes when she was like talking on the phone. And she's like, oh, that's just Luigi TV. And the little boy is really just standing outside the window doing like a tap dance. Caroline TV would so be a thing in that day because I would totally I would do the like you know like going down the escalator I would do, I would feel like such a ham bone. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, you don't even I need do to now. be from that period, uh, <laughs> actually. Um, and plus, I think they probably make enough food for her.
1: Yes, good call, good call. See, I think they had a crappier apartment. This is what I was gathering, and so by wow. I know. (laughs) I know. So by letting them be in that apartment, it seemed like she was being generous or something. That's what I was gathering.
0: But later on this episode, don't we find that she and her bad guy, Harry? Drake. 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 That they've mended fences.
1: They didn't mend fences, but essentially, how it's sort of wrapped up a little bit here is that it's sort of like a. Well, I'm a hesitating. Detente. I'm hesitating to say because, I mean, she obviously chooses to still not live her in in her apartment. Yeah, yeah. But that at the same time, I think that there's just like civility that wouldn't necessarily exist now that I think still exists then. Like it's as even though she's a woman, I'm gonna say like a gentleman's agreement that like when we're in public and like eating in a restaurant you would still greet the person even though you essentially kidnapped them last week you know so it's i i feel like it's a little call to civility of the time that's what i'm going to throw out there okay so and maybe also there's a lot of backstabbing in the showbiz entertainment world and but to everyone's face everyone's real nice city nice city all the time even those you hate through and through
0: all right it's not a real um, pact it is just a just for looks like i can't be seen in public swearing at a woman telling her that i wish she was dead
1: I'm sure he would deny that there was even any type of issue between the two of them to anybody's face. You know, I mean, it's 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 a commentary probably on a lot of shady business, which is a lot of conversation. Really, if you look at Joel's stuff. Um, a lot of shady, you know, stuff behind the scenes of, you know, the windows get broken in. That's when you pay the loan, you know, that kind of stuff. It feels kind of similar, like, well, you know, when you've really done something wrong when someone breaks your legs, you know, like it's kind of that simple.
0: It's almost like Alex Borstein has a, has a deal with Amy to be like, I'm in every episode. I mean, that's just the deal. I'm in every episode because her character doesn't really have much to say in this episode, but it's enough to be like calling on the phone. Hey, Midge. And then and yeah. like, that's about it.
1: I think that um, like we've discussed in the past, I think that Susie is very representative of Amy. And so it makes sense to me that Amy would like plop herself in the world every every episode. Okay. So I also think that she tends to kind of push Midge's plot along, even when that plot isn't actively moving. So she'll talk about like the next thing or she'll like drop the next bit of information, even though Midge is really like two, you know, steps behind, still dealing with the previous situation, dealing with Joel, dealing with her kids, dealing with whatever. But when we meet up with Susie, we get the update on the career. We get the update on, you know, what else is going on, where she should be going next, basically. So what did you think about that? Actually having Susie have this reveal about the Mrs. X at the gaslight in the record store.
0: It made me um it made me realize that hadn't happened yet. You know, like
1: Yeah, didn't it feel strange? Like I'm not sure who would have told and when. But somehow it did seem like, wait, there's still people who don't know?
0: Yeah, it was it was Joel that heard it and and he didn't but he did tell Midge, right, that he heard it at the at the record store during the little reveal in the first episode, right? I don't know.
1: All right. I just remember that. I mean, obviously, she she knows he was in the back of the club when it was actually happening.
0: Mm. So
1: that's you know what he heard. But
0: all right, yeah. That, I'm not sure. So this scene made me think. Haven't haven't? Why don't they know this already? <laughs>
1: it, I agree with you. It did make me be like, wait, does like nobody really realize this? It, it was a little confusing. I'm with you on that, and. Having seen the next episode and stuff, I'm not sure where we're going with the fact that Susie just found that out. Because basically there's like this whoop, 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 whoop running out of the record store scene, but I don't know that it gets picked up like moving forward. Maybe it will, but it it's not. Maybe we will dabble way back in it way later. But at this point, I mean, it kind of gets dropped for Imagine some
0: time. How scared those two would have been of... <laughs> Susie, that they would abandon the store rather than face her. Well, so
1: many people think she's a man, first of all. And, you know, secondly, she was obviously irate and they knew it was like a bootleg situation. I Well, uh, and that she was crazy enough to like knock their heads together, basically. Right. They right. just needed to outrun her, get back in the store and lock the door. Right.
0: I guess so. Do
1: the whole whoop, whoop, whoop around a tree and then come back in. That was the whole thing.
0: Well, they're gonna have to I bet they're gonna have to come to some sort of agreement with the manager I, here. I
1: will be interested to see how they play that out, actually. So talking about shenanigans, let's move over to Midge. This was a strange episode for Midge, as far as I'm concerned. How so? Well, one of the things that you mentioned was that it seems like Midge has to do some bit, like in every episode. Even when she's not necessarily on stage, she's like doing some sort of bit, right? So we do have a stage act part. But then there's this entire Mary wedding planning business, where she basically does like multiple bits at different times. So we started off with like the fact that she's like back in the coat check and she overhears about Mary. I love the interaction between the makeup girls. I think they're super funny. I love that. Like the first line is that girl being like, so did you heard, you heard that I'm not the maid of honor. Like just crack me up. She's so funny and just blunt. She's, she is such an underused character. She's the one that always falls
0: in love with people that remind her of celebrities, celebrities.
1: Yes. So she constantly calls everybody by their celebrity name. I think that that is a really funny little quirky character that, Really doesn't get much play.
0: That might be as much as they fleshed out. <laughs>
1: <She> <laughs> I kind of is, but I really, I think she's funny, and I think there there could be a lot with her. So we get into this Mary wedding planning, which just which brings into this punishment room business that uh, Mary is going to have a reception in this like pretty dank church basement kind of situation.
0: Yeah, that looked horrible. And um, like in the middle
1: of the afternoon, which is also kind of like, oh. I mean,
0: we've been to a range of weddings and wedding locations from amazing to.
1: Like, are you serious? This is happening. <laughs> and this
0: was at the way bottom end, even though it was a church and all that. I mean, still, it was no windows or... Yeah, the
1: re- actual reception was going to be a huge bummer. Yeah. So Midge works her magic, does her Midge bit, basically. Flattery, et cetera. Absolutely. And and easily gets them a way better time and a, and a way better space. Now, what she does with this opportunity to make a more beautiful wedding was pretty shocking, actually. Bizarre. I thought it was. I mean, I'm a hand bone. I say things that are very inappropriate a lot of the time. But I really, there's no chance I would stand up in front of all these people like she did and say something like, I didn't stoop the father or whatever. Like, are you kidding me? Like...
0: I kind of expect more from this show than cringe humor. Like cringe humor is is okay for shit like mom or the Big Bang Theory or sitcom kind of stuff. Like two and a half men you'd expect to have like some cringe, you know, like, like I can't believe John Cryer saying that, you know, that kind of stuff. It's, it's. It's suitable more for laugh track kind of stuff. Okay. You know what I mean? I think it's beneath this show to do cringy shit like this. So I hated this bit, really. I couldn't wait for it to be done. What did you think?
1: I said I was absolutely surprised. And while I didn't think that Miriam, and I'm not saying her name was Midge, I'm saying actual Miriam. She has better manners than that. So, the idea of like getting up and standing on a piece of furniture, I don't think so. You know, what well, I mean? treating
0: someone else's reception as if it's like your moment.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't even, but there's moments. So, say she got carried away though, say she did, right? There's certain things like, again, standing up on a piece of furniture. That like takes it too far. Like, I'm sorry. I really don't believe she would do that. And then to make a joke about the shotgun wedding part was like, really? I mean, there's things you don't say, you know, like that would be one of them. So I don't know. I mean, I understand that she was now grappling with this idea that her real life so like Mary and Bialton and all that stuff and right. her stage life were starting to collide in a way that as we know moving forward, that that's going to become a point of like no return. You know, we're like you, but this is like the first mushing in where it's like, you just totally let that get into your real life in a way that you're like hurting feelings and you're, um, really just out of line, you know, like you don't know where to be anymore. You don't know how to be yourself. It's really, you've changed, I guess, basically. So this was like getting your feet wet, but it was harsh. It was harsh at such a, to me, a wedding is pretty high stakes. You know, that's not just like, she wasn't just like at a party. And she stood up and said this. She was at Mary's wedding and she didn't just make some rude remarks. She called out a pregnant bride. Like, I mean, holy smokes, this is like high stakes.
0: I mean, I don't know. I mean, if the bride on a microphone thanks you at her wedding, your only response is one of these two things, nodding
1: <laughs> right, or waving, saying you're welcome your or
0: things like it was no trouble. My pleasure. It's, it's really like two to three words, and then it's back to the bride.
1: Agree, 100%. And I'm Miriam, a guy,
0: and I know this, and right? And Miriam
1: knows this. I mean, she, she went to finishing school type, you know, life. So it's sort of like, oh, gosh. I just, it's a stretch for me to believe that she would have lost her mind at that level. It felt like they should have had some other things happen, maybe that where she was like super stressed or got there late or something else that really... Like somehow her adrenaline was pumping and then she kind of lost her mind or something. They acted as if she had had a lot to drink, but I just don't even think that that was it. She was too coherent in her craziness, you know, to really feel like that was it.
0: This is, this was like Steve Carell in The Office, you know, when he thinks he's having his moment and he says what he says. Midge is better than Michael Scott,
1: right? Certainly has an upbringing and and etiquette lessons and whatnot that, yeah, you're right. I'm with you wholeheartedly on that. So that was a little bit weird. She does get a blowback, not only with now Mary and the friends, but then also when she's trying to apologize so much, she ends up doing the fatal error of leaving, leaving the, the booth room. Yes. <laughs> So back to the basement. So we basically kind of started from zero with her there. So when she does get kicked out of that booth, she does have this montage move, right? Which reminded me so much of the... Operator basement scene where she's like spinning around in the chair, but this time instead of fixing everyone's phone calls, she's going around and fixing everyone's purchases that different women had around the makeup counter. So she'd be like, not that lipstick, this one, and you need this. And she like did this like choreographed little business all around the Bealton makeup area. I felt like, again, I we can talk total Gilmore Girls at the end here, but this was very Lorelai in a lot of ways and actually weirdly kind of Rory-esque in that like Midge has this kind of everyone loves her and everyone thinks she's so great. But if you really, really looked at it, you're like, but why? Because that's. Cause it's pretty rude to take purchases out of people's hands and say, you don't buy that. But Lorelai would totally do that. She yeah. would walk up and be like, you don't want that and put it down. And Rory esque is that part where it's sort of like Golden Child, kind of like Halo, even though she's really not a saint. She really makes a lot of mistakes, hurts a lot of feelings, you know, commits a lot of sins,
0: steals boats,
1: steals boats, sleeps with married men, do, does all kinds of things, but yet her Halo is really never tarnished. Right. So there's a funny little Paralo. character yeah. situation there that Amy creates where it's like everybody really. Just loves that person. And yet, if you really examined it, you probably don't want to, <laughs> right? You probably right. just want to love her on the surface. Right. She has this montage of gigs. Uh, I feel like my favorite line was um when the one guy was booking the stuff at the gaslight. And he's like, uh, the dulcet tones of the auto harp. <laughs> and yeah. I was like thinking like, they you know, we've had this conversation so many times and I've had it in with like mixed age groups of people and no one yet can explain to me how the evolution of entertainment ever
0: went. made it like a stop at auto harp and was like, yes. this is legitimate.
1: Yes. And like, I mean, we, I typically talk about it in terms of humor and in terms of like adult men laughing at puppets or, Or laughing at, you know, Paul's laughing right now. I I understand that people still laugh at puppets, don't get me wrong, but crude, like seriously, just like a sock on a hand kind of entertainment. um, I don't know. There's, there's, I have such a puzzling mystery of how our brains worked back then. That very simple, like, fart jokes that now we think of as like a six-year-old will laugh at that, but not a grown man or woman for that matter. I don't, I find this interesting. And so this whole idea of the auto harp, having adult people sit around and be like, that was lovely in a downtown bar. (laughs) Yeah. uh, uh, Puzzling, but, uh, but also, you know, accurate.
0: Well, in the auto harp as since then what
1: the frick owns an auto harp, Paul. <laughs>
0: turned into the instrument that the music lady brings around on her cart because it's so
1: it's like that and the self-explanatory
0: and how to play. You press the button, you stroke the key, the, the strings, you play the auto yeah, harp. Yeah, it's
1: automatic harp, right? Right. So So think about that. In case you guys haven't seen an auto harp, if the if your note is an A, you push the button that says A and then you strum and it plays an A. So yeah. there's like very little skill set in this. Again, second graders can do it, yet we enjoy an adult person. It's like <laughs> right. right. such a it's not quite
0: bar room entertainment, at least not not anymore.
1: We do have Midge go up and do this um Mama didn't raise no pussy bullying act. Uh she continues to hone, you know, her her Set and come up with new and different things. This is kind of what I was talking about where she does still mention Joel. She does still mention the fact that she's, you know, a divorcee and got cheated on, but it is moving into other things. She is talking about her kids. She is sort of, you know, like what we thought this would kind of move on, kind of transform into whatever's going on now.
0: I kind of wondered um, with her, her language. I mean, the reason she met Lenny and and went to jail and all that was not, it was the boobs at first, but the but the language kept her going to jail. And this language isn't really any more family friendly than no. than uh, what she went to jail for.
1: I can't quite figure that out. I really don't know. One of the things that I saw in terms of like, is it realistic that she could say things like that up there, or even that a person of that time would have referred to a body part as a as a pussy? Saying that, like, was that even? happening in culture at that time. It was interesting because I was reading an article and I'm, I hope I don't quote this wrong, but I think it was from town and country, which is weird, but that's where it popped up. They had an article where the Paladinos were talking about how they actually have an expert on language of the time who they consult with on the regular about different words and whether or not they would have been in play basically during that time cocksucker was in play and that was like the one they highlighted in town and country magazine which i find really funny i think
0: there's got to be times when they say no we want to say this because i think they've made the phrase
1: you're right is
0: that a thing no that's not a thing i think they've said that and that is a very 2018 thing to say
1: i don't think it's 2018 but i will give you that it's more current than 1959 way more I agree with you. And I, and I think that there are times like that when I think it sounds so familiar or normal to us that I would think the majority of the audience is just like, yeah, that sounds right. And doesn't really care that it's not exactly right. Yeah, I they're think not
0: historians. Exactly.
1: Right? And it's not meant to be. You know, like you should go write a thesis on this in terms of historical like, information. Like Matthew
0: Weiner, uh, at the very end of, of Mad Men, people were making guesses of how it was going to end, and the best theory I read was that Don Draper is actually DB Sweeney, and he's going to jump he out of this airplane with money and all this stuff. And
1: I love that and one.
0: Weiner's response was, I'm a, "I'm a TV writer, not a historian." <laughs> I love it. I love
1: that DB Sweeney idea. And I, man, I wanted that to be so true. It seems so cool.
0: So I figured the Paladinos are taking the same out. Like, you know, we're making TV here,
1: not documentaries. And I think, like, in terms of things like that, like, is this a thing? That's not a thing. I feel like that's kind of um, a subtle kind of moment, whereas if you yell cocksucker or pussy, and it is not historically accurate, if you will, it, you're going to get that like lit up in lights, like your live nudes, you know? <laughs> so it, it's it's going to be focused on like, would someone actually say that? And they claimed in this article, right, wrong, whether whether it's a joke and it's really their friend, Jojo, who they call and Jojo's like, I don't know. And they're like, well, we checked with our consultant. Jojo right. says it's a go. Right. I don't know.
0: My mom called my dad cocksucker all the time. <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. So um, who can say, and I'm sure Every single one of you guys out there, you guys are welcome to like take different words and go find the origins and figure out like, was pussy a common word? I don't know. But the main thing is that I felt like it was funny, but it was still kind of shocking between the full frontal nudity and using stuff like mama don't raise no pussy. That was kind of like, woo, wow. And, the, and her behavior at the reception, this was like a real kind of edgy kind of episode,
0: Yeah, it kind of stands out. Like I've seen the first two and I've seen the fourth one and the fourth one's completely different than this one. So yeah. Oh my gosh,
1: so different.
0: This one is definitely a boundary pusher in comparison.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, so did you like the episode?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't like the cringe- factor of the reception but yeah i mean this was an entertaining standalone type type episode
1: it very much felt like a standalone and in a lot of ways felt like it could have been plopped anywhere and like maybe even you could have put it like as episode two and then actually stretched Abe and Rose's stuff really to three or whatever. I know you'd have to play around with that, but but you could have stretched their story. I did kind of feel like, again, going back to the Gilmore Girls stuff, the concept of going to college, I mean, Lorelai does go back to go to business school and it is treated like it's important, but also a little bit like when she's studying, she comes out, she's like, like this isn't gonna change my job at all. Like from the time that she is in co- going back to school to get her degree to the time she graduates, like she's, she goes to work on Friday and then she goes to work on Monday and like zero changes about her world. Only now she has a business degree, but nothing's different. And even when they talk about going to like the community college, or taking any of the like annex classes or anything, it's definitely like uh, it turns out that Jackson took a journal writing class. <laughs> and it's <like, laughs> <there's> just like... <laughs> And the biggest joke of that, they were like, who needs to take a class in how to write in a journal? (laughs) It was really funny. Um, And then, you know, there's all these little moments. Lorelai helps plan Suki's wedding. Um, Yeah, right. There's a lot of moments like that. Now Now it's not nearly anything like that. I think that the stuff that... We had talked about, too, with Joel and, like, sort of taking over this business of his parents. That's exactly what Luke does. Luke takes over his father's business. It's all mismanaged. Uh, He discusses how, like, basically, uh, you know, there's, like, money in a coffee jar kind of thing. Like, I mean, it's all mismanaged. And he has to basically come in and be the first one to, like, take it to a bank and, like, go do these proper things. Is is Luke Jewish? Yeah. Yeah. In theory, he, he, he makes a hoopah for her and Max's wedding. Right. It is never talked about, but there is the rabbi and there is the reverend in the, in the town. And they basically just like, it's funny because they very much interchange them. Like if you guys remember, there's like a scene where, I believe it's the 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 Jewish worship is happening and, and it's like the time is up. It's like noon or whatever, and they have to swap. So all they do, is, like the rabbi looks up and he sees the reverend and he kind of points at his, his wristwatch. And so he just, the rabbi turns around, takes the Star of David off of the wall. The reverend comes up, puts a crucifix on the wall, and then they just <laughs> keep talking. Like nothing really changes. Uh, that's funny. So I kind of feel like in Gilmore Girls and specifically with, with Luke, um, There is a point in time, actually, where Lorelai says something like, are we Jewish? Like, actually asks. Um, And they do step on the glass when Luke and Lorelai get married. They do step on the glass. Okay, so he's Jewish. So he is, but he's, like, non-practicing. Like, they never show anything, anything of him going to anything at all for anything. observing
0: any any Sabbaths or kosher or anything.
1: Right. He doesn't do stuff like... um, like for christmas and those kinds of things like he doesn't go to those festivals like very willingly he goes but sort of out of like this is silly so he doesn't he certainly doesn't seem to have the same Christian sort of background, I guess, if you want to say. All right. So I, I, I think you're right though that that the Joel character, not that he is,
0: he's no Luke.
1: No, he's definitely not. Good golly, don't let me be confused. He is a lot Christopher. I mean, he is Midge's first love, very mm, Lorelei Christopher, I'll very fuck up Joel in some first, ways. Yeah. and just like the timing is never right in a lot of ways moving well, and, forward. And, like
0: Christopher and, got more correct on the second go round, right? It, he didn't get everything right, but he he had a chance with, what was that wife's name? Sherry. Sherry. Sherry was the one that, that kind of flaked out on that
1: deal. Yeah. She, you know where she went? France, France, France with her yoga instructor. Cause that's where women go when things get nuts in their life. Yeah. She needed to get away from it all. So she went to France. Um, yeah. And left Gigi behind the daughter. So yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of similarities do, you know, I,
0: but Christopher runs into money oh, a, yeah. and,
1: uh, which I, how is Joel not going to end up doing that whenever it's time for you know, the elders to pass on or whatever's going to happen. He, yeah. He, he is going to go from this guy who just works for, you know, the, the family to, I think he's going to definitely become the head of the company here, much as Christopher did. And Strobe died. So that's his dad. So it's Strobe and Francine and Moish and Sylvia in this one. Nice. Yeah. So I I, I do still see a ton load of similarities. I think that, also there's a moment with Midge where when she is saying the rude stuff at the wedding reception that is this is not nearly as huge at all however Lorelai two parts to this Lorelai stands up at Lane's wedding gets the microphone and drunkenly embarrasses herself and says a whole bunch of stuff. Now, this is a more family-friendly situation. So her whole thing is that, when is she not getting married? June 3rd. So there is like an embarrassing scene at a wedding reception. Same. Also, if you have this other little nippity snippet where Lorelai is talking to Suki in the kitchen and they just come back from ice skating and Lorelai is all pissy and she decides she needs to break up with Max because Rory is getting too attached. Suki's trying to say to her, like, no, you know, really, here's here's the stitch. And she kind of snaps at her and she, like, hurts her friend's feelings. That really felt a lot like with Mary and, like, that sitting down scene in the actual church. She kind of, like, has this really similar rapport with Mary. Now, Mary is not by no means her best friend, but it was very, it felt really similar. It brought that scene up where she was like, I shouldn't have treated you that way. No one should ever talk to you that way kind of thing. And that was a lot of what Midge's... Feel was like I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't right. So lots of lots and lots and lots of parallels. Always in my brain. I'm always thinking about these things. So I asked. So I so I asked you if you liked this episode. You felt it was a good standalone. You felt I mean, good yeah, about it. Yeah,
0: it was. It was for this show is an average episode, but average is very good for this up for this show. It's way better than like I like like a kind of denigrated sitcom. So it's way better than an average sitcom. It, it, but this one doesn't really stand out so far as like, oh, that's an excellent episode. No, this is just a pretty good episode.
1: It feels like one of those ones, it's a setup episode because if you think about it, like we have, like what's going to happen with Rose and Art and like where's that going to move forward? Susie and the record Where's that gonna lead? We have that setup. We have Midge and this total um like I can't seem to behave the right way anymore. And it's like crossing into my real life. What's gonna happen with that? And then Joel, obviously, the apartment down in the basement, the the more, you know, entrenched in the family business. So it would it feels well, just like a setup episode. And don't
0: forget Abe. You know, saying to to uh, a dean, Abe's not a dean. Abe's Abe's right. a professor, a
1: tenured professor.
0: So he's telling a dean, you know, how it is. That's not normally how that how that works, you know. Exactly. So Abe is Abe is marking himself now as someone willing to kind of step outside the um, establishment at a at a place where. Establishment rules.
1: Yeah, so I, you're right. So let's see how that plays out as well. Well, thank you guys so much for listening.
0: Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective
1: on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at PodClubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter,
0: Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse!